hey, I have a special event coming up. Actually, two special events coming up as part of our celebration of self-care September. So, hey, is this you? I'm looking for 10 people who want to work with me over two hours to outline and get started on your burnout restoration and self-care plan from the inside out, from scratch. We're even going to take action in self-care during the event together. So specifically, who I'm looking for, and is this you? You're willing and open to start your self-care plan in 2022. You have some idea of where your energy and spoons are being depleted. You're easily coachable, open to feedback, and believe that you are meant to live a life that is peaceful and energized, and you don't have to do anything to earn that. You are ready to implement quickly and get personal feedback from me on your self-care plan. You've been in burnout or stuck on the chronic cycle burnout loop for long enough. You have at least two hours to spend working on your self-care plan on Friday, September 23rd or Saturday, September 24th. You'd like me to directly help you make your self-care plan from the inside out and start your burnout restoration journey. If that's you, make sure you email me at info at mindyourautisticbrain.com and I'll send you all the information and details on getting started. In this week's episode, join me for an amazing conversation with my friend, Amy Cram, founder of Finding Autism in Australia, and she is fantastic. This week, we're talking all about self-care as a late-identified autistic, neurodistinct, ADHD, dyslexic, you name it, different brain. Let's get started. Welcome to the show. This is our second part in the Self-Care September series. And I am joined today by Amy Cram. She is the founder of Finding Autism in Queensland, Australia. She is a researcher, an advocate, and a mentor, and she has a fantastic program. Her work is specifically geared towards late-identified and autistic, neurodistinct women. I love the work that she's doing, and she and I are going to have a conversation today all about self-care and some of the biggest barriers and maybe some of the things that we might be told that are going to help, but necessarily don't fit what we need. Stick around. Amy, welcome to the show. I'm so excited you are here joining me for Self-Care September. This is our second annual event in Mind Your Autistic Brain, and I love this because it's based on my work of the unveiling method, and we talk about self-care plans from the inside out, and it's very different for us. You and I are going to talk about some of these self-care things for us in our late identified life, but Amy, I would love to know, what is your number one go-to self-care activity? Like, what is the thing you're like, this is part of my routine of self-care? Yeah, um, so thanks for having me. Um, So my number one, absolutely, because when I conceptualize self-care, I think about a large portion of that for me is mental health and doing things that protect my well-being. Um, So for me, the number one for that is spending some time alone, so removing myself from other people and reducing sensory input, Um, particularly if I'm at a point in life or just having a day where I'm feeling sort of hyper-aroused, a bit overwhelmed. um, The main thing that helps for me is just sort of having some downtime and, and some me time. Um, and I think doing that with, without a sense of shame or guilt for, for taking that time for myself and away from others um, and sort of reducing responsibilities, I think that's, that, that's a big thing as well. Because um, sometimes, you know, you take that, that me time and then you feel afterwards a bit icky, like, oh, you know, I shouldn't have, shouldn't have done that. <laughs> 
But um, trying to do that in a way where you're accepting yourself, accepting your boundaries is, is really important. Uh, Amy, that is really a big one. And that's sometimes one of those internal barriers that we have because, you know, in late identified life, sometimes we've onboarded a lot of shame and a lot of guilt about not being quote unquote productive enough or not getting things done. And like, you have to fill every part of your day with things that you're doing. You know, you've got this to-do list and it's somehow how successful or my worthiness is equated with what I accomplished on my list that day. And that isn't always supporting our needs and our energy needs and our rest. You know, I am a very social person, but I do have to unplug. That's real important for me because I also require alone time in order to recharge my battery. And for me, it was a real struggle. You know, I was almost 40 when I was identified. So it took a lot of relearning and unlearning and new learning to look at, well, what, what do I believe? Why do I feel guilty? Why do I feel, you know, like I should be doing something? Did you go through that? Or do you have any suggestions for people? You know, if they're, if they know they need some alone time, but they're also noticing I'm feeling a lot of this guilt and shame and these should things coming up. How do we start to navigate that, Amy? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really tricky one and definitely a really prominent theme um, through my, my work with other autistic women, particularly those that are late diagnosed, is this sense of shame and guilt um, around doing things that feel intuitive to us, but um, kind of go, maybe go against what the popular mainstream advice might be. So I think um, just understanding where that guilt and shame might be stemming from is sort of the, the first step. And I think a lot of it stems from, you know, we are often given advice if you're depressed or feeling low or struggling with mental health. A lot of the mainstream advice would be to go out and, and see people and to socialize. Um, so just sort of identifying that that's that's a solution that might work for most people, a lot of people. But most people aren't autistic. Most people aren't neurodivergent. So it's totally okay if that strategy doesn't work for us and sort of understanding and connecting with other neurodivergent women. That's been a really big one for me for reducing shame around some of the unique things that I need to thrive because I'm connecting with other people who just get it. And they're like, oh, me too. And there's this sense of like, camaraderie like you're coming together and you're sharing things that most people don't understand or get um, but then yeah like th these people do so just finding the right people as well to discuss some of these things with um, and building up like a community of like-minded people I think that can really help to destigmatize um, some of these things. I agree it really does help I mean having that, that other person that gets it without you having to explain mm. it ad nauseum you know <laughs> like oh you get it I don't have to like go into detail because you're there you know you're you have at least a, a pretty close sense of what I've I've experienced here and Amy what I love is is you've got some groups that you bring together for these kind of conversations so that women don't feel alone don't you yeah, yeah. So I run a monthly online discussion group, um, which has really kicked off, actually. I've got um, regular, mostly autistic women and a couple of autistic non-binary individuals who come together from the US, the UK and Australia. So it's really great. So that, that's once a month. 
Um, and then I'm sort of in the process of kickstarting some in-person um, social groups as well. Um, and then a large part of what I do is sort of um, putting that peer mentoring kind of approach into more one-on-one. -on -one. So having conversations with other late diagnosed autistic individuals um, and the peer mentoring approach is kind of um, sort of this concept of sharing lived experiences with one another, having that sense of validation, that sense of someone gets it right and then okay how do we move forward so I've got the validation that I've been seeking and then what next what do I need to thrive in my life and just um sort of incorporating some coaching elements into that as well so yeah it's really rewarding um both for myself um, and the clients that I work with it's really great I love that because I you know I think that's such a big part of, of the late identified journey is finding your people you know finding your your tribe of folks to have a conversation with where you can share what's going on in your life and and really kind of leave all the baggage at the door in a lot of ways because you know that you're going to be seen, heard, and understood in that particular group. And that that alone is such wonderful self-care. And in my in my opinion, I think just having that support network and having a group to, of other people to talk to. Um, you know, from lived experience and, and that type of thing. So Amy, I would love to know you know, what are some of the things, you know, you mentioned one of the barriers for some advice that doesn't necessarily work for us is, you know, when other people are like, oh, well, you're feeling low, you're in a low mood, or you're feeling depressed, you know, go be around people, you know, don't just sit at home alone. So maybe what's another uh, piece of advice sometimes that we get that necessarily doesn't serve us as neurodistinct humans? Hmm. Um, I think another probably common one is this sense of um, stimming and, and repetitive behaviours. So stimming, um, for those that, that don't know, is um, short for self-stimulatory behaviour. Um, and usually that's a repetitive action that, that feels soothing for um, neurodivergent individuals. Um, so, for example, right now I'm stimming with this. I've got like a little squishy ball. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and then you've got that. Um, it's just something that helps to ground me. It feels soothing. Um, but I think ingrained in us from childhood, whether we're diagnosed early or not, um, is this sense that we need to suppress those repetitive traits because to other people they might appear as um, quote unquote odd. Um, so, and that's something that I, I definitely don't believe in. I think that we should really be embracing stimming behaviours, particularly because it's a really large part of how we regulate ourselves is through repetition, um, maybe through like the, the sensory aspect of certain um, stimming behaviours. So this definitely has a sensory and a repetition aspect. Um, so yeah, I think my, my big um, piece of advice would be to, if, if stimming helps you, do it. Um, and, you know, with the only boundary there being that as long as your stimming behaviour isn't encroaching on the safety of, of someone else, um, and if it is something that makes someone else uncomfortable, you can to some extent negotiate with them and find like a halfway point where you and the other person feels comfortable with, with what you're doing. Um, but, yeah, that's something that the mainstream advice tends to go against, against that, un unfortunately. So, yeah. Oh, see, yeah. I love your brain so much. <laughs> that is such a big one because, you know, being able to, to stem freely and, and I love to call it self-stimulatory action. Most of the time in stems, they're actions and, mm -hmm. and they're actions that are soothing and you know, they can be rhythmic. And there's so many areas of stimming, you know, you've got vestibular, you have, you know, 
sensory, look at all the different senses and how you can factor that into a stem because you can have like an olfactory stem. So you love to smell a certain scent. It like calms you or soothes you. I love vanilla and uh, lavender. Those are my two favorite. And I have this wonderful um, aspect of my areas of rest and it talks about sensory rest and we talk about stimming and some of these different things and the rest is more than sleep course on Autastic. So you guys could definitely go check that out. But, you know, having stem tools, like you have your, your squishy, I have my spiky wing here. My friend Joanne Sayman owns Hypo Fidget with her son Kai and she's an occupational therapist. And I love this. I didn't think I was going to like this. And I didn't like it the first time I touched it. It is this um, metal sort of springy, spiky material. It's not super hard, but it can be a little bit sharper. And I touched it the first time because I'm usually like a soft sensory seeking touch person. Yeah, you know, I so want like my squishmallow. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like yeah. I have my squishmallow. And so I yeah, like yeah. those things. This was really different. I touched it the first time I was like, Ooh, I don't know about that. And Joanne had sent me a box of all different kinds of things to try. And one time I was sitting here at my desk and I picked it up and I just started rolling it on my finger. And all of a sudden I noticed I had this like crystal clarity focus and I went, Whoa, okay. Is this just a fluke? And then I tried it again several times. I'm like, this calms me like nothing else with this slows my brain down, which has usually got like 90 tabs in five different browsers and four strings of music playing, <laughs> slows mm -hmm. it all down in this amazing way. And I love that because, you know, that to me is part of my self-care is having STEM tools, not toys, folks, they are tools, STEM mm -hmm. tools that help support the needs that I have that calm my body, my sensory system. So I love that you brought that up. Amy, do you have any best tips or insights that you'd like to share with everyone about how to incorporate self-care into your every day so that you're not doing aftercare, but you're doing actual proactive self-care in your daily life? Yeah, that's, a, that's actually a really good point because I have this tendency to not understand my limits sometimes and to take on too much. And again, that's a common theme that comes up um, with a lot of clients I work with is not having those clear boundaries about what, what we need and yeah, not taking care of ourselves sometimes. Um, so definitely scheduling it in, in advance, like preemptive self-care is super important to avoid things like burnout and, and that kind of stuff. So for me, the main thing that I do to sort of respect my boundaries, even if I don't feel like it, like no matter what, no exceptions, I'll take um, certain days off each month. Um, so even if I feel like, oh, I'm fine, I can take on a heap of work today, I'm going to be productive today. No, I, no matter what, without exception, there's a few days each month that I've got scheduled in, um, weekdays that is, because I typically take weekends off where I can. So yeah, a couple of weekdays each month. And that is just a day that's dedicated to um, self-care. So that might be whatever I feel like I need at the time, whether it's alone time, um, you know, doing something that's repetitive and something that feels grounding. Um, it might be going on a nature walk, spending time with my dogs because animals are, are a really big um, strategy for me as well. Um, or maybe going out and doing um, some, some dancing, whatever it is really. Um, so that's something that I, I, I try to stick to because I find that if I don't, I tend to just take on too much and I, and I start feeling really burnt out. So I definitely need those self-care days scheduled in in advance um, and consistently as well. Oh, that is such a good one. I love that one. And I like that you're, you, you take it even if you 
don't think you need it. Because, you know, that's a, for those of us with alexithymia, sometimes that's part of the biggest part of the journey in burnout restoration. Uh, when I work with coach, when I work with coaching clients and I'm taking them through my burnout to thriving foundations course, you know, we've got the four parts to it. Part of that is really starting to recognize and and be able to tap into and tune into what is your body telling you? Because, you know, for so many decades, we suppressed it, pushed it down and ignored it because, you know, we were told we were too much. We were overly sensitive. We were, why are you being so dramatic? That can't possibly hurt that much. Or you can't possibly think that light is so bright. Um, so we start to sort of push those down. And in part of recognizing our restoration needs and our self-care needs, is starting to step back and go, okay, what, what actually is happening? What am I feeling in my body? And what are the needs and my sensory needs, not just my regular needs, but my sensory needs that need to be met in this? Because I may not be recognizing it. Sometimes it's, you know, you get over the hump and you're like, whoa, that just hit me like a freight train. I missed that coming, you know, but there was an on-ramp. We just didn't pay attention because we didn't know how to, you know, we're having to really learn to to understand what those signposts are to let us know, hey, you're, you're creeping into burnout territory. You're creeping into, you know, that, that deficient drain of energy and in, in you're not getting it in. We got to find a place to bring it in. Yeah. Amy, if you had to say, you know, I know you said your pet, and of course you could probably hear mine whining because she, her daddy's outside the door. <laughs> Nobody here sort of open it, I guess. Um, but your dogs are, are something that's an important part for you. But like, what is like one activity, like on the days that you schedule for your self-care, what is something that really energizes you and brings you joy? And it's just like your happy thing. What is that, Amy? Um, I would definitely say, yeah, my, my dogs um, and also my, my partner as well. So he's probably one of the, the few exceptions that I'm taking alone time, but because he's my safe sort of go-to person you know he's often there so I find um being around him is really energizing but yeah definitely spending time with, with the dogs so taking them out for a walk um letting them off the leash and just letting them sort of run around it's so cute because I've got I've got two dogs and just watching them just brings me joy um because I feel like a really deep connection to to animals um particularly my, my own my own dogs um, and that's another common thing, actually, that a common theme that I've noticed um, for a lot of autistic folk that I talk to is this sense of being really deeply connected to animals and getting a lot of joy from, from animals, whether that's pets or just animals in general. So that's probably like number one for me. Um, I guess another one for me is, is reading and learning about things that I find interesting. So I love um, just taking that time to really deeply focus on a topic that is interesting to me at the time. Um, a lot of the topics that I'm interested in are around philosophy, psychology, um, neurodivergence, that kind of thing, which is great because it aligns really well with the work that I'm doing. So I can spend a lot of time, you know, downtime where I'm reading and learning and enjoying that. And then also then take that into my practice as well. So it's really good. Oh, most definitely. I'm. I'm. That's actually one of my um, values in my core values board that I have here right next to my desk, and that is growth. So I'm always reading and learning. So what's on your nightstand? Like, what are you reading right now? Yeah, I can't remember what what it's called. I think it's called Regrets of the Dying. Um, so that's one that I'm reading at the moment. So it's actually interesting, and that's more of just like a 
more of a philosophy book at the moment, I, I would say. I don't really know how to categorise it, but it's essentially a book where a, a woman who had a near-death experience, um, she sort of changed her, her values kind of after that experience. And then that really had a massive impact on her so much so that she sought to interview, I think it's like maybe 70 odd um, other people who had near-death experiences or those who were, um, who were old and sort of on the cusp of, of, of dying soon and just ask them, you know, do you have any regrets for how you lived your life? What would you do differently? Um, and she just sort of collected that data and put it all together in that book. So I really like how it's, it's laid out. Um, it's sort of just like a, almost like a data collection exercise. Um, and it's just really interesting reading through that and seeing what, what people regret um, in their lives and, and, and what they value, because talking about what you regret really highlights the, your values in, in some way. Um, so it's just something that I, I spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, those sort of big philosophical ideas, because I, I want to live purposefully and in line with my values. I want I don't want to regret anything. Um, so yeah, that's one of the ones that I'm reading at the moment. And I can read all sorts of stuff around around those kinds of topics. I just find it really interesting. <laughs> I do too. And that actually is a fabulous book. And one I'd like to share with you in return is there's a book called The Power of Regret that's new and it's out by Daniel Pink. And I love Dan Pink. And mm. it is a fantastic book. And it takes some of her work actually into account and discusses it around the power of regret uh, and how, you know, regret actually serves us. You know, people run around and they're like, oh, I'm going to live with no regret, no regret. And it's like, well, actually regret serves a purpose. It helps us clarify what's important to us. It helps us really refine and hone moving forward what we do value. So I love the power of regret. So I'm gonna share that one with you in return. I hope you uh, get a chance to maybe read it after this one. And I love that you're reading that because it is a fantastic book. Mm -hmm. So Amy, how can people find you? How can they connect with you? You are in the Australia area. It's area, you know, big giant <laughs> continent. Um, where can people find you and contact you to, you know, maybe check out one of the groups, maybe check out one of the peer-to-peer -peer mentoring and finding autism. Yeah, so probably the best way to get in touch is via the Finding Autism website. So it's www.findingautism.com.au. Um, that's all in lowercase. And there is um, sort of a contact link on there and also links to um, a LinkedIn page, a Facebook page, which is quite active. I put a lot of posts up on there um, and an Instagram page. Um, so, yeah, feel free to get in contact directly through um, any of those. sort of. And areas. I will put those in the show notes below so you guys can find Amy and connect with her. And, hey, if you're in her area, she did say she's putting together some live event groups. So be sure to be on the lookout for those. Amy, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your experience and insights on self-care this month. If you are suspecting that you might be in burnout and you're wondering, hey, how spicy is my burnout? Is it a one pepper spice? Is it a five pepper spice? I have a fantastic top 20 warning signs. You may be an autistic burnout and you can find out just how spicy your burnout is and even look into the Foundations Coaching Package. Thanks so much for being here, guys. Make sure you check out next week's episode, more on self-care from the inside out. See you next time.